0: Hello, and welcome back to Hope, a podcast wishing to inspire listeners everywhere with weekly stories and personal testimonies from our wide range of guests. The Webster's Dictionary defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. I'm your host, Danny Daniel, and thank you for listening. Today, we have Pastor Jerry Varnado. He is a lifelong friend of mine, who has been my pastor for 12 years and has done just about everything you can do? His stories are far and wide and very, very interesting. You'll want to hear more of Jerry Varnado's journey. Hope with Danny Daniel. Hello, Jerry Varnado. This is Danny Daniel. Yes, sir.
1: Hello, Danny. How you doing, brother?
0: I'm doing just great. I'm very pleased to have you on the air, and because uh, you really got a story to tell. I think uh, m- most people in Athens wouldn't need an introduction to you. You've been around the bend a couple of times, but I did want to tell them that you uh, were my pastor for 12 years at Boggs Chapel. And uh, that's where I made that great uh, trek down to the altar and decided to get saved. And I'm proud of that, very proud of that. And then the other, those
1: great years. They, they, they were. And that, we had a great time in the Lord then.
0: I never understood, Cherry. I really didn't understand how uh, Beverly and her little choir and you and your preaching and all like that could be so much better than any big church I'd ever been to. Uh, so you must have been doing something right.
1: Well, we were just trusting God. Uh, we uh, we felt often that we didn't know what we were doing, and, and I guess we didn't. We were just trying to love people, follow Jesus, and follow instructions in the Bible. We took that as our as our book uh, to guide us and direct us. And so I guess along the way, we did get a few things right.
0: Well, there's no question about that, or you weren't able to be, keep the people there as long as you did and and provide such influence on them. I, I know that you were—we're we're going to talk about all this, but you were a— uh, lawyer at one time and i think you closed my loan about 30 years ago uh, could, would you in practice I think,
1: that? I, I think that's that's right i practiced law up until 19 uh is when i well i actually left in the summer of 84 and I started seminary in, in 85. that fall
0: well that's a that's a big jump in anybody's book i i say this is this is the guy that went from valdosta high school to the pulpit how do you do that?
1: Well, uh, the way you do that is uh, you find out uh, that God can speak to you. And it never—when I was a young man deciding where I was going to go to college and what I was going to do for a living, I, I never asked God about those things. I never talked with God. Uh, I wasn't looking uh, to God to help me with any decisions I made. I was simply doing what I thought was the best thing to do or what I wanted to do. And it really never dawned on me to do that. I was, I had never been taught that as a, as a kid. So I, I mean, I don't know if I'd have been listening to, to God way back then I might've been a preacher to start with. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, what happened was, uh, uh, I, I was going to be in the Air Force, and I got an injury playing football, and I got booted out of the Air Force and and right before I was to graduate. And so I didn't know what I was going to do, so I went back to school. And in the course of that time, uh, I became friends uh, with uh, one, uh, someone who was a lawyer, and uh, I just uh, admired him, appreciated him, so I decided to try law school. So I went back to law school, but I never involved God in any of this. And then, uh, later on, after 13 years of law practice, when uh, tragic circumstances uh, put me in a position uh, where I was terribly uh, despondent. Uh, I, I had been handed problems by the world that I couldn't handle in my own strength, and I thought I could handle anything. Uh, but the death of my daughter at eight years old, the death of my best friend at age forty-two, and and uh, the death of my first marriage, uh, made it very apparent to me that I couldn't handle and couldn't deal with anything and everything, and and I was I was in bad shape. I was very despondent, and it was at that time that uh, a good friend named Jim Kilgo, you may have known Jim, he was a professor at the university. Uh, led me into a personal relationship with Jesus. And then I began to ask God about my life. And through a a series of circumstances, uh, I felt like God was calling me to be a preacher. And so I left my law practice and went to seminary.
0: Well, isn't it highly unusual for an attorney to turn preacher?
1: Uh, Well, it's not that unusual, uh, really. Uh, It's... It's not every day, but uh, there were some great preachers uh, that were former uh, uh, lawyers. Uh, one here in Georgia, whose name I can't pull out of the air right now, the life uh, Sam Jones was a great Methodist evangelist, and he was a lawyer uh, before he was uh, became a preacher. And there were, were a couple of more, uh, but when I was in uh, law, when I was in seminary. Uh, I had uh, two friends that were in seminary the same time that I was who were also lawyers and had been practicing for a number of years. So it's not usual, but it's not that uh, unusual either. It it does happen.
0: Well, I guess you can get them to talk to people if you're an attorney, so that helps a little bit when it comes to preaching. Uh, Well,
1: actually. Well, actually, that's what people said to me, but I, but they didn't understand. I said, look, I was a uh, I, I was a real estate lawyer. I did all my lawyering in the office or in the bank closing room. I didn't stand up. I mean, the largest crowd I ever had was about six or eight. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't accustomed to public speaking at all. As a matter of fact, first time I preached, just about scared me to death. Uh, but uh, but God has a way of working that out. Uh, inside you and helping you along the way. Uh, I I mentioned to you earlier, I'm going to see a preacher friend of mine who was my first pastor when I really surrendered myself to God in in 1980. Uh, His name's Grady Wigley, and I'm going to see him. He's 95 years old now. And uh, he encouraged me in the faith and uh, and helped me uh, work out uh, what I was experiencing of God in the life that I lived. And it uh, just was a great uh, inspiration to me. And people like that, uh, Jim and Jane Kilgo. And then I met my wife, Beverly, in this whole process. And she was becoming new in the Lord. And it, it was just a big group effort uh, that helped me find my way uh, that I thought God wanted me to go.
0: Well, maybe an attorney uh, come in. And- to the Lord and becoming a pastor needed a lot of support, <laughs> right? Obviously, well, you did, and uh, we all would. Uh, I, I know when you went out to, to Boggs Chapel, uh, I, that wasn't quite as big a church as you'd been in before, and that sort of thing. And I think you no, that had...
1: was my fir- that was my first church. I mean, my, as a pastor, okay, I had been in bigger churches as members, but it's an interesting story how I came to be at Boggs Chapel. I don't know if that would be something that uh, you would be interested in hearing or not, but I, I went to my district superintendent and told him i started start seminary and I'd be interested in having a student appointment. And I said, but I had to stay in Athens because my I was in the throes of, as I said, I gotten divorced and my daughter had friends in Athens. And if I left Athens, she would lose contact with those friends and they were important to her. And so uh, the the DS kept looking and looking. He had several churches he offered me. And they were out. They were in Athens area, but they were outside of Athens. And if if I lived out there, out in the country, outside of Athens, I might as well be in Atlanta or somewhere else. It just had to be in Athens. And so on the night that appointments are fixed, they had the the cabinet and the bishop were having a meeting. And somebody had told me about Boggs Chapel another uh, Methodist preacher. And he said, I have preached out there, and that would be a good place for you. And I said, but it's not a student appointment. He said, well, it's a small church. I don't know why it's not a student appointment, but it'd be a good place for you. So I said, okay. And I, I wasn't trying to manipulate the system, so I didn't mention that to, the, to my district superintendent. I just prayed, God. Uh, my daughter and I went out there and viewed the church, saw where the parsonage was, and I said, honey, could you, could you, this be all right with you? And she said, it sure would, daddy, this is fine. And so I, we started praying, God, if it's your will, then we'd like to go to Box Chapel. And so the night of the last day of the meeting for setting appointments at 830 at night, the district superintendent called me at my house and said, I've got another possibility for you. How would you like to go to Boggs Chapel? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I said, "Now, I, I said, well, I, I said, well, tell me where that is. And I want, I, you know, sometimes it, there's more than uh, uh, there are more than one church with the same name. Uh, so I wanted to make sure it was that church. And sure enough, he told me where it was. And I said, no, well, that'll be just fine. We'll be glad to go there."
0: But you didn't know whether or not you were going to be there for, like what, 12 years or something like that? How long were you there?
1: 25 years. Oh, my gosh.
0: Well, you had to have a little patience there, didn't you? And and, and maybe a lot of hope that things would continue to work for you.
1: Well, we started out uh, with about, uh, well, the year before, the average attendance had been about 8 to 12 people. Uh, The last few months, uh, about 3 or 4. And uh, I think the first Sunday I was there, we had 29. Hmm. But, you know, a lot of that, I knew a lot of people around Athens and they all, you know, they came to see the first Sunday I preached and all that kind of stuff. And then they went back to their church. But we did have 29. And uh, bless God, after that, uh, that's the that's the least attendance we ever had at Bonk Chapel uh, for the time I was there.
0: Well, I I am pretty certain that we were there for twelve years. That's a long time to be that in that church.
1: Sa- that sounds that sounds about right. Uh,
0: and uh, my kids enjoyed it, and uh, we certainly enjoyed it. And you but know, our I, kids
1: were the same age too, so they they had a good time together.
0: Yeah. Well, I I easily and don't don't get your feathers up here, but I easily tabbed you as one of the best preachers I've heard, and I still believe that uh, you. Uh, you just have a great delivery, well, and people listen to you.
1: Well, you probably haven't been around all that much to have you, uh, Danny, to make a statement like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I appreciate it. I'm I'm flattered by it. Uh, I I take pride in preaching, and I try to communicate at a level that that people can grasp. And uh, I hope that I do that, and people seem to like my preaching, so I guess I'll keep doing it as long as I can.
0: Well, did you ever figure that, uh, you know, you might move to another church somewhere else uh, without having to leave Athens?
1: Uh,
0: I mean, while never you were crossed,
1: there. It never crossed my mind. I had some offers, and I considered some. I, I, had, I had an early offer uh, to take a large independent church uh, that was here in Athens. Uh, but I, I didn't want to do that. Uh, you know, and independent churches are great. I love them. I don't have any criticism for them. They it, it just weren't for me because I had known pastors in there, and there are 10 or 12 men on board. And uh, they go in one night and make a decision uh, that they don't need you there anymore, and, <laughs> and you're gone. And there's there's But in a structured system like the Methodist church that I'm in, You've got a DS and a and a bishop in a cabinet and a whole church body and it's worked out together where preachers go and how they you know, where they stay. And so you've got some assurances and some protections and you have a little more security for your family. And you know, I know a lot of preachers say, Well, we're just gonna trust God for it. And, and I, I understand that. And I had to trust God a lot for a lot of things I do, but I think God also uh, asked us to to think through things and learn to make wise choices about the kind of environment that would best suit us. And at the time, that best suited me uh, to stay in the Methodist church. So I passed up that off. also had some Methodist churches uh, ask me if they could put my name in the ring for a pastor with the bishop and encourage him to send me there. And I had DS encourage me to, move that he could get me to a bigger church and all that and and uh, i just felt like god called me to be here you know why i had lived in athens all of my adult life i came to college here graduated here started work here practiced law here for 13 years i i knew people and people knew me why leave all that behind and go to some new place where nobody knew you and you you know that didn't seem to make sense to me. No,
0: it so
1: I I just stayed where I was. You
0: no, know, I don't think it made sense at all. I, I think that you know sometimes God gave us a heart and a mind, and He expects us to use it. Uh You know, yeah. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. We want to discern what we do, as you have done so often. Now, you you uh, picked up uh, the pieces and built a new church
1: out there on the Jefferson Road. Well, uh, we started. Uh, gosh, it was a long process. Back in the '90s, we bought a piece of property. Uh, it was a 15-acre tract of land uh, on the Jefferson Highway, uh, and with the intention of building a church there. But uh, man, that, that's a, it was a long process. We're talking about, uh, uh, you know, trying to trying to raise. Uh, um, we spent 1.2 million dollars uh, building a new facility. Hmm. And for a small congregation, I mean, I, we could only seat about 120 uh, in the Monks Chapel Church, even after we remodeled it a little bit. And so we just didn't have that big a crowd. But anyway, God uh, intervened, and and finally we got there in early 2000, and uh, and we moved that congregation. Uh, out on the Jefferson Highway, and changed the well. Prior to that moving, we had changed the name from Bob's Chapel uh, to Gateway United Methodist Church, and yeah. then later Gateway Church.
0: Yeah, yeah, and boy, you wonder where that one point two million went.
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, I when we moved in that building, uh, it was better than half paid for. Uh, we did have some debt, but it, it was better than half paid for. So that little crowd, uh, over the years somehow we managed to get up half a million dollars, a little over half a million dollars. And I, I don't know how that happened. Well,
0: I don't know of any congregation they make uh per capita that has more passion for their church than, than Bog Chapel has had uh through the years. There's no yeah, question yeah. about that. I I still uh marvel and how you start out at Val Oster High School, you couldn't have predicted any of this other stuff if you had to. Just
1: no, no way. I, I, could have, I could have never even projected that I would get to Athens. It's an absolute miracle. Uh, when I w- walked in the, club, the the dressing room my freshman year at Georgia for my first football practice, I was 5'11 and weighed 165 pounds, and I was an in. And how in the world I ever got here, I didn't know. When I saw how how big everybody was, I wonder if I had not made a bad mistake. <laughs>
0: Maybe you should have <laughs> gone to a smaller school. <laughs>
1: right. Well, but anyway, it worked out, and uh, I I I was I was a starter my freshman year, and then I, I wound up uh, four years later. Uh, I was redshirted a year, and and I played three years Coach Dooley. Coach Vince Dooley came in and took over the program in nineteen sixty, late sixty-three after the season, and so I played for him in sixty-four, five, and six, a starting end on the SEC team, and we were SEC champions number four in the nation uh, in uh, uh, in sixty-six. And how that could have ever happened just blows my mind because I was not a great athlete. Uh, I didn't I didn't play first string in high school till I was a senior.
0: Good grief. That, uh, that's saying a whole lot. Uh, and and uh, it must have been determination, sheer determination that you got on that. that
1: well, it's uh, determination and providence, I think is a good word to put it. It seemed like I was always in the right place at the right time. You might remember from your time in Augusta, you might remember a, a coach there at Richmond Academy named Frank Enman. Absolutely And. Uh, and we played against Frank two times and for the South Georgia championship, and he coached the high school all-star game. And on my high school team, we only had four seniors that started uh, uh, my senior year. And so Coach Baysmore said, we're state champions. I've got four seniors. I want them all to be in the all-star game. And they said, "Yes, sir, Mr. Baysmore." That <laughs> so I got to play. I wasn't an all star, but I got to play in the game. And Frank Inman was the coach of the South All Stars. And that year, he left Richmond Academy and went to Georgia as an assistant coach. And then he he was at Georgia when he coached in that coached that All Star game. And he came back from that all-star game, and he convinced the Georgia staff that they ought to recruit a 165-pound in from Valdosta. And I had already received an offer from Mississippi State, and I was going there, and Frank Inman called me up and said, if you'll come to Georgia and pay your way the first year, we'll give you a four-year scholarship after that. And I was blown away. I had no idea that I'd ever get to go to Georgia to play football for Pete's sake. But here I came. That I had nothing to do with that. That was worked out. That was Providence. Yeah. I was just in the right place and things worked out. Well, you figured and if you I, could
0: get one year put together, they could pick up the rest of it and be, you'd be all right.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, I said, yeah, I can I can put up with anything for one year. <laughs> but. But anyway, uh, I did, you know, and I wound up coming to Georgia. I, I played five years. I was redshirted a year. And then I went to graduate school for a year in business graduate school and uh, coached on the freshman team. And then I continued coaching all the way through law school. So I got five years of undergraduate, a year of graduate school, and three years of law school, all paid for.
0: Well, it's sounds... of
1: that decision. Uh, that Georgia made to offer me a scholarship. Well,
0: it sounds like yours is divine providence. <laughs>
1: well, let to add that to it. it. You know, if you read the historic documents of the United States, uh, our forefathers talked a lot about providence. You'll see that appear in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. And what they meant by that was God. Providence was the direction of God, and uh, and I think. Uh, I, I, I cannot believe that I, my life has worked out the way that it is, just judging by who I am and my size and abilities and those kind of... It, God had to, had to do that. It, it just couldn't have happened in the natural, in, in, my, in my understanding. Well, just, w-
0: what's interesting to me, Jerry, is that a lot of people have a story to tell about their life. Yes. You know, it's one story. You have three or four, uh, Well, <laughs> and, and it just keeps on going. It's, you know, you just got put in place for the uh, Touchdown Club of Athens uh, uh, chaplain, right? What now? Aren't you the chaplain for the Touchdown Club of Athens? Uh,
1: I am chaplain for the Touchdown Club of Athens. I'm also chaplain for the uh, Athens Academy um, uh, varsity football team.
0: Well, sounds like to me uh, somebody ain't going to let you go.
1: <laughs> well, God never lets anybody go that comes to him. But you know, the, the, the thing, if you look at my life and some of the amaz- amazing things that have happened, is if you get involved with God, incredible things happen. It it's just amazed me. Uh, as you know, my wife Beverly is a, is a writer. And I was sitting here today, and I was reading her blog, uh, which is one ringing bell. And she was there, just giving her a little testimony of her life and how God worked out and how our lives connected, and uh, produced the life that we've had in Athens for the last 32 years. And I'm, I sat here at my computer reading that thing this morning, weeping and saying, my, what a mighty God. I mean, it was it was just incredible. Uh, and if you want to read an incredible story, you might want to have her on your radio show. Uh, go to go to One Ringing Bell, and uh, and and read the testimony that she uh, wrote and posted on her blog this morning. It, it was just incredible.
0: Well, I'll certainly get in contact with her. I think that uh, you, you know you like all the rest of us. They say all along that we all married up. And and you did, oh, and I, did. I married way over my head. Uh, and uh, she, she just kept me in awe when I went out to Boggs Chapel and heard her voice and her little uh, choir and that sort of thing. I was so impressed with her. And she, uh, you
1: I know just, that choir wound up being about fifteen or eighteen people and performed in a number of places. And then uh, uh, Beverly did the music for our. Oh, actually, uh, she started the prison ministry. We did we we did worship service in women's prison uh, for years and years, and uh, and we actually started a a, a worship uh, thing. We bought helped them get some equipment and stuff. They had a, a choir and a music ministry in the prison, uh, and it it was it was an incredible time to see what God would do. If you just make yourself available to him.
0: Well, I like that very much uh, because I believe that that's exactly right. Uh, you don't you don't make your way; God helps you make your way. Yeah. And you've had such a positive impact on so many people all along the way that uh, I know that He continues to bless you and to bless Beverly uh, because y'all are wonderful people and wonderful people in this community that needs more like you. I appreciate well, you being with us this morning. Unfortunately, we're out of town. We could, you and I could talk for another 30 minutes.
1: Well, it would. It could go on and on, couldn't it? And I love to tell stories. So, well, I'm, I'm not sure how many people like to hear but I love to tell them.
0: Well, I may call you back for part two. <laughs> we'll All see. All right.
1: I'd love to talk to you anytime, Dad.
0: Thank you so much. You've been listening to Pastor Jerry Varnado close friend of mine and somebody who has done a great deal to make Athens a great place to live, with his influence on many, many people. Thank you for listening. This episode recorded at Vega Studios. Also remember to follow us on social media. We will be posting our episodes on our Facebook page along with the website. Stay in touch with us and spread the word. It's all about hope. But before we go, I wanted to remind the listeners that I'm a huge supporter of the UGA Miracle which is the largest student-run organization at the University of Georgia that raises money for Children's Health Care of Atlanta. They raise over a million dollars a year, and you can be a part of that. Just go to ugamiracle.org, and you can donate. Remember, any amount given is a step closer to saving a child's
1: life.